Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Julie R. from California and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Wednesday, November 18th. Today we are reading from the big book and we are at page six, the last paragraph that starts with the mind and body are marvelous mechanisms. Today's readers are Devorah S., Renata G., Lynn S. The reference number for Tuesday, November 17th is 8205. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At A Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Diane G. to read the 12 steps. Good morning, everyone. This is Diane G. from New Hampshire, a recovered, not cured, compulsive overeater. Twelve steps. Number one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for his knowledge for us and the power to carry that out. And 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, Julie, and I pass. Thank you, Diane G. And I will now ask Nadia B. to read the 12 traditions. Good morning. This is Nadia B., grateful recovering compulsive overeater in Connecticut. The 12 Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. 
personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscious. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought to never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, least problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OAS as such ought to never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought to never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always remain maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. With that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Nadia. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book on page six, six, paragraph, the last paragraph, starting with the mind and the body. I will now ask Devorah to begin reading. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning, Julie. Good morning, everyone. My, the, this is Deborah S. from New Jersey, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. The mind and body are marvelous mechanisms, for mine endured this agony two more years. Sometimes I stole from my wife's slender purse when the morning terror and madness were on me. Again, I swayed dizzily before an open window or the medicine cabinet, where there was a poison cursing myself for a weakling. 
There were flights from city to country and back as my wife and I sought escape. Then came that night when the physical and mental torture was so hellish, I feared I would burst through my window, sash and all. Somehow I managed to drag my mattress to a lower left floor, but I suddenly, lest I suddenly leap. A doctor came with a heavy sedative. Next day found me drinking both gin and sedative. This combination soon landed me on the rocks. People feared for my sanity. So did I. I could eat little or nothing when drinking, and I was 40 pounds underweight. Wow. This paragraph really gives us a description of the bottom that he reached um, before the miracle happened. And I believe we all have to get to that bottom um, before we can before we can really um, recover, you know. Uh, my my, I had a sponsor who used to say, if you're not willing, then pray for the willing to get willingness to be desperate. Um, and um, and so this, I, I relate to this paragraph because it says to me, the mind and body are marvelous mechanisms, and my mind for sure um, is one because. I would look in my mirror and from the neck up and see a face, you know. I had makeup on, my hair was done, and I wouldn't see the, the, the rest of my body from the neck down, my obese body. Um, and I avoided mirrors and I avoided, you know, uh, being in crowd, eating in front of other people because um, I didn't want, you know, I, I do not want to be confronted. I do not want to be told, told what I what I was doing was killing me. And yet, my um, my people, my family feared for me. I don't know if they feared for my sanity because they didn't know how crazy I was with the food, and they didn't know that I had this you know disease of mind and body. But you know, first for, for, for the physical part, they certainly feared for me. Um, it was one time that my mother took me on vacation, not a big fancy vacation, but just away, away, just away. And we went to Florida. And from the beginning of the vacation to the end of the vacation, whatever it was, a couple of days, she was talking to me about her fear of me dying and, and I need to lose weight. Um, so it certainly impacted everyone. And, um, and I did have that fear. Um, that I would go to sleep and not wake up in the morning um, because I was grossly overweight. My children would even stand by the, I, I remember them, you know, they were little kids and they would say, this is how mommy sleeps. And they would imitate me um, and they imitated me the way I was snoring because I had such a hard time. The whole house heard me snoring. I mean, they thought it was funny, but I, I, I it, was, um, it was something that I remembered for years on. Um, so everybody was affected. Um, I my mind told me that I'll start tomorrow. Um, I got this down pat. I'll know what to do. My mind told me that um, I could, you know, it's not so bad. Even though I went to the doctors and the doctor told me that I need to be on medication for the high blood pressure and the diabetes. Um, and even though they said to me that if I don't stop eating or get my weight and get my weight under control that 
uh, you know, I can end up in a wheelchair. I can have leg amputations from the diabetes. I mean, they, they, everyone was scaring me, but it was, it was, my mind was not accepting it yet. And it was, um, I really, I myself had to reach a bottom. Um, and, and that happened over many, many years. And finally, um, I realized I was killing, <laughs> I was killing myself. I was killing myself. I had a, I had a, a baby. Um, he's now 16 years old. I had a C-section. I was in the hospital for seven weeks during that pregnancy. I was the heaviest I could ever imagine, but you could imagine. And a C-section, they had to cut through layers of fat to get to the baby. And how humiliating that was. I wasn't out. I was up during that time. And how humiliating that was to hear the doctor say, We're cutting, we have to cut through layers to get to this child. And it was then that I saw, I realized that how crazy I am. You know, what am I doing to myself? And I need to get help. And I found my ways into this program, into the into these rooms. And um, and I learned the doctor's opinion, which told me that I have an allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind. And that's what I, and that's why I couldn't stop eating. You know, every time I said tomorrow, tomorrow, it wasn't working. The disease came back. I started more and more furiously. Um, and when I was told that I had to put down my substance and all forms of it, um, the the cravings the cravings was stopped, and uh, I was able to um, I was able to 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 get recovered. And uh, thank uh, what you, a miracle! Okay, thank you. And what a miracle that is! And I'm just so grateful. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Great. Thank you so much, Devora. And who would like to share on this paragraph? Reva W. Reva P. Lois. Okay, hold on. Reva P. I have Larry K. And Kim G. Kim G. Lois Vasa. M. Lois M. Vasa O. Vasa O. Sharon H. Okay, we're going to start off with this group. Okay, Reva P. Go ahead. Thank you. Good morning. This is Reva P., recovered, grateful, compulsive overeater in Toronto. Uh, This paragraph, um, how I identify in, is it um, demonstrates to me and teaches me what it means for me to be a real compulsive overeater because I'm seeing here the allergy of the body where um, it's beyond his control. It's just, um, it's like there's a tornado coming or a big, big wave. And I try to put up my hand thinking I'm going to stop it. And I just get blown away. Like this disease progresses and goes on its own momentum. And the momentum builds and builds and builds. And things for me got worse and worse. And um, it's a huge remember when of, you know, my descent um, to get me ready for step one. Um, But what makes me a real compulsive overeater is in spite of all this stuff, and he's already aware of what's going on, um, in spite of all the medical, financial, all the consequences, um, I'm learning to notice here, it goes on two more years. And then there's the word again. 
that's me. In spite of anything, I will just self-destruct with compulsive overeating. And then um, the mental part where he's seeking escape. I want to fly, flight from the city, escape, um, like to run away. Um, I wanted to run away from this too, and there were all kinds of ways that I used. But there is no escape because the problem is in me, (laughs) and I can't run away from myself. So that's a good reminder for me that the solution is to get out of myself, um, to remember I'm beyond human aid, and I need to tap into a power greater than myself. Um, And, um, you know, that power greater than myself is not just in a small prayer of help as my hand is going to the refrigerator um, and, you know, help, help me not do this because I know I'm going to, you know, self-destruct. Um, but that um, power is, you know, I had two important meetings for work, Monday and Tuesday, and it's getting on my knees and asking for help because I don't really know how to do this if I'm honest with my higher power. And then it's taken care of, it's done for me, and all that wonderful stuff. All I have to do is get out of myself, stop chasing my tail, um, and ask something somewhere, something bigger than me um, that's more powerful than this tornado that comes my way when the disease gets going. With that, I pass. Thank you, Reva P. and Larry K. Thanks so much for your service. Uh, Larry K., Recovered Compulsible Reader. So, it, I mean, it sounds to me like, uh, you know, Bill may be nearing his bottom. You know, the, the, the difficulty for me personally was that you know, while I was certainly, you know, I certainly appreciated Bill's story of, of descent, you know, into the madness of, of alcoholism. See, I never, I never had an experience like this, you know, and um, you see the, the, you know, my perceptive lens in which I viewed my life at the time, you know, I first read this, it, it convinced me that I wasn't that bad. You know, no identification, no recovery. And after all, you know, I reasoned, you know, I'm a, I'm a well-respected professional who, who just happens to be fat, you know, big deal. Granted, I, I might think like Bill thinks when, I, when drunk and feel like Bill feels on occasion, but, but somehow, you know, I wake up each morning, you know, coming out of a food coma, I put on a tie, splash on a little bit of aftershave, you know, stop at the, the pastry shop on the way to work to get my crack, you know, I had to armor up to play the role of a helping professional. You know, that was, that was what I needed to do. Um, but I wasn't swaying dizzily before, you know, an open, you know, window, cursing myself for a weakling. Of course not. You see, the combination of pastries and clonopin and, you know, this and that kept me in check. You know, what a model of professional integrity I was, right? You know, nothing the matter here. And, you know, the first time I read, it reminds me that, you know, that Bill gave Dr. Bob a bottle of beer. Remember in the story, just prior to performing that surgical procedure? It was June 10th, 1935, I believe. I was appalled to read that. I mean, what kind of a sad excuse for a doctor would need a beer to do his work? Shocking. 
And yet I would quickly reach into my desk drawer so I could mainline, you know, as many M&Ms as I could stuff into my mouth just to quiet the, uh, the incessant anxiety. You know, afternoon work was fine because I found that massive amounts of fast food would, would numb the brain, you know, for hours and that would get me through there. You know, self-deception is a process of denying or rationalizing away the, the significance of, of, of evidence to the contrary. And with this disease, self-deception is deadly. For normal people, you know, self-deception keeps you sort of boxed in a little bit emotionally. But for us, self-deceit boxes us in, all right? It boxes, it boxes us in in a casket. You know, game over. You know, thank God there was a solution. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry and Kim G. Good morning, Julie. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. Then came the night when the physical and mental torture was so hellish, I feared I would burst through my window sash and all. You know, I remember this part of my disease when it was progressing like this. I remember a time when I couldn't get drunk and I couldn't get sober. And that was, that was the torture I'm hearing him experience right now. And it's so essential that we understand. I'm so glad people are slamming home that doctor's opinion right now because it is the interaction of the physical and the mental torture that defines the real compulsive overeater. Because if it was just a physical problem, if that phenomenon of craving was purely a physical problem and we didn't have the mental, then rehabs would have a 100% success rate because they separate you from your substance. They can explain to you that you cannot eat, drink, do drugs, whatever, without having this phenomenon of craving, and we would have the sanity of mind to make that decision the rest of our life and never have to experience the uh, phenomenon of craving. It is that interaction of the two. And I think about people in my life who have one or the other. You know, I have friends that tell me once they open up a bag of Doritos, they eat the whole bag. And I say to them, well, what do you do about that? And they look at me like I'm crazy. Well, I don't open up the bag of Doritos. They're sane. I have a friend that loves chocolate. She thinks about it all day long. And she comes home and she has a bag of Hershey Kisses and she has one Hershey Kiss. And I've seen her eat chocolate. She gets that same euphoric ah, feeling on her face that I get when I eat my binge food. But she doesn't have a phenomenon of craving. So I know you guys may not believe this, but when she buys a bag of 30 Hershey Kisses, it might last her 32 days because she might actually forget to have a Hershey Kiss one or two days. Those people have characteristics of a compulsive overeater, but they are not compulsive overeaters. It is that dangerous combination, the physical and mental torture. And I think of the doctor's opinion where it says men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. Our mind convinces us we need that effect and the effect we get in the food dooms us to binge. And what I find for myself is just because I'm not getting the effect from the food doesn't mean I don't need an effect. I still need an effect today. And I get that effect through working the steps, through a connection with my higher power, and through carrying this message by working with others. If I choose today not to get the effect through 10, 11, and 12, 
my brain will have the mental twist come back and I will go back to the effect of the food. It's that simple. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. And Lois M. Hi, good morning. Good morning, everyone. This is Lois M. in Massachusetts, recovered. And um, the longer I am in recovery, well, first of all, I wanted to say I'm a real compulsive overeater. <laughs> and the longer I am in recovery, the the more and more I, I know that. And uh, listening to um, Bill's story this morning um, is, is like, a, a, I think they'd say, a virtual reality of my life. You know, I wasn't in New York and I wasn't going to jump out a building, but I wanted to go to a, a, a local mental institution, and I needed to go there because, you know, my life, uh, I remember somebody mentioning, you know, our lives are like a circle and we have different slices of our lives. Well, you know, my disease had taken over I would say 90% of my life. I had, no, I had no thoughts or actions towards anyone in my family, my, my children, my neighbors, my, my, the things I was interested in. I could no longer perform some of these things. I had any interest in that. You know, my mind and my body was in torture in my own, in my own hell and in my own torture. And, and I was thinking as I read the uh, doctor's opinion over and over again, you know, through the years, the years that I've been in recovery, um, the, the more I listen to that and read it, um, I I couldn't really get it, you know. So I I was thinking if there are new people listening today to the doctor's opinion, and if you were like me and you really can't seem to, you know, identify or relate to some of the um, torture that Bill went through, you know, please just keep coming and keep practicing the program and working your steps, and things get clearer and clearer. And, and the thing that I've learned lately, I, I'm still learning, which is a blessing. I love to learn. Uh, but the, the thing that I, I was thinking about and learning lately since I've been to the uh, conference was the mind and the body. And, and I, I know that as long as I have any kind of a piece of my binge food inside of me, the disease will always, always make it okay for me to pick up more. You know, and I live in a negative world to make that happen. And another thing I learned was when I was struggling with my mind, will I, won't I, yes, I did, aren't I awful, I'm not going to do that again, my mind was working in this way. But meanwhile, my body, which I really, really understand now, my body is as sick as my mind. My body was working on a different track. You know, and the body would would crave it would create an obsession or a craving for for one of my foods that you know that I really didn't I, that my mind didn't so the the mind working one way and the body working another was such a powerful powerful uh, movement that you know I I was doomed and I was doomed for many many years and and I'm very grateful Fine. I was able to. Uh, work the steps, and come to know what my problem was. And thank you, and with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Lois M. And Vasa O. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. I'm Vasa, grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater, calling from Massachusetts. Thank you, Julie, for your service, and I'm grateful to be here with all of you. And I love this paragraph. I try to identify with every paragraph as we go along. The mind and the body are marvelous mechanism for my mine endured this glory two more years and uh, I remember we, I remember 
saying to my, in my mind, it wasn't that bad. Or I didn't look that bad. You know, I tried to compare myself with other people. And, uh, and then I was getting bigger and bigger. I said, oh, my God, I can't stop eating. And I remember really looking in my mirror, you know, putting my makeup on and, you know, and trying to look good. And, I, you know, there was a time I just didn't want to look at my body. I remember feeling so disgusted. And I wasn't even yet reached, didn't, didn't reach to that point. It was getting so progressive, worse for me. So for me, when I came to OA, I didn't have two years left. If I continued doing what I was doing, I remember feeling I was really killing myself and I was just going to die. You know, to me, that was my bottom. I had enough pain, enough, enough suffering physically, mentally, and spiritually, which I didn't understand the mental obsession, the spiritual Part, you know, till I came and worked into the steps and I kept on hearing people, you know, about, you know, about themselves and identifying. So I'm just so grateful to find out when I read the doctor's opinion to hear about the allergy and the obsession of the mind, the mind, the mental obsession. I, I remember saying, wow, you know, where, were I, where I have been my whole life. Well, I guess I wasn't supposed to hear it till I came to my programs, you know. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a mental obsession. It's a body allergy, and I'm grateful that I found out the solution. And just to be back here with you, I've been off for the last few weeks, not coming to the meetings because of other things. But I'm glad to be here today. And um, again, you know, my bottom was enough bottom to hear the solution and to work the 12 steps and to just keep coming. Thank you for letting me share and I pass. Thank you, Vasa O. And Sharon H. Oh, thank you, Julie. Um, this is Sharon H., a recovered compulsive overeater in Colorado. I'm going to go set my timer. Um, the mind and the body are marvelous mechanisms, for mine endured this agony for two more years. And the way that I can identify in with that today is what was happening in my life in December of 2010, Christmas Day. Um, I got very upset with my daughter because she was uh, called me and said she wasn't coming to visit on Christmas Day and we were just starting to heal a relationship that had been um, unhealthy and out of sync with each other. And it was so incredible that I, I sat there with my sister and said I was angry, but then I said, oh, well, whatever. You know, that was what I thought. I went immediately into the kitchen, and there was a bowl of shell, um, unshelled nuts on the table, and with all the little picks, you know, that you dig out the nuts with and everything. And I, I, I just remember it so clearly. I just thought, oh, look at that. And it's in the same bowl that our mom and dad had every single Christmas. And off I went first with the nuts. And from that point on, that whole day, I was absolutely out of control with the food completely out of control with the food. And I was so embarrassed because I was living with my sister and I, I couldn't even be present. And finally I just went up to my room and went to bed. Um, <clears throat> but that 
wasn't the end, you know. Uh, after that, uh, two or three days later, I tried to call my sponsor. I was in Compulsive Overeaters Anonymous at the time, and uh, she worked with me to try and, you know, get me back going in the right direction. I couldn't. I think I went through three or four sponsors within that period of time, and and then just continued down that dark road. And this was one more time. I mean, I've been around for a long time. And um, <clears throat> a dear friend that um, I've known and uh, who used to live here in Colorado, um, I called her and she told me about this meeting. And I started listening. And that was the beginning. They were in the doctor's opinion. You know, that was, that was God-inspired for me because that is when I saw the truth that I had denied all those years. That I did have a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body and that was never going to change. And all of those facts that were laid out in the doctor's opinion <clears throat> just spoke to me like they'd never spoken to me before. And so I am just so grateful for this Vision for You phone line meeting. I am so grateful to be a part of it, and I am so grateful to be abstinent today and free from that horrible bondage and all of the consequences that go along with uh, being out of control with food. And um, <clears throat> I guess that's all I have to share today. Thank you. Bye. Or pass. <laughs> Thank you, Sharon H. And we'll take a few more on this paragraph. Who would like to share? Okay, we're just we're gonna take a couple so I've got Sally and I believe Sarah W. Leanne W. Rachel W. Oh Rachel W, got it. Okay. Oh, Leanne, Leanne W. And Leanne. Okay, we're gonna go with that right now. Okay. Sally, go ahead. Press star one, Sally. Oh, there you are. <laughs> Again, <laughs> I'm sorry, I was just chatting away. Um, good morning, Julie. Good morning, a vision for you. Good morning, my friends and my family. And um, it's Sally in South Jersey. So what I just really had to say here this morning, because I, I know there's so many that want to speak on this paragraph. It's such a powerful paragraph. Um, I wanted to speak to this uh, this sentence. There were flights from city to country and back as my wife and I sought escape. And that's the key for me in this paragraph, as my wife and I sought escape, escape, escape. And people use all kinds of things to escape. They, they, here they're describing the geographic cure. Hey, maybe if we go here, maybe we'll feel better there. Hey, maybe if we do that. Hey, maybe if I go eat this. Hey, maybe if I watch this on TV, I can hide. I can, I can uh, lose myself. I can escape from this world that we're in. And from the whole beginning of the paragraph to the end of the paragraph, what's he talking about? He talks about suddenly leaping from a window. A doctor came with a heavy sedative. It's all about escape. It starts the whole paragraph with escape. The mind and the body are marvelous mechanisms. We can escape. We can all escape. Isn't that what we want? I woke up this morning and I got this text from my daughter telling me another bomb in Paris. And I just felt this sense of overwhelming doom. And how do I escape? I don't escape like I used to escape anymore. I can't use the food to escape. And I don't want to use the TV to escape. And here comes this paragraph and the word is smack in my face. Escape. We don't have to escape anymore. That's what we were doing for a long time. 
That's what Bill is describing here, this pain of his mind and his body, the marvelous mechanism of escape, that we can escape. People are escaping every day into drugs, alcohol, television, food. They're, they're, they're in front of a computer game, lost in, in walls. And I, I see my nephews, and I see how they, they go into these computer games. What are they doing? They're escaping. We don't have to escape anymore. That's what Bill is describing here for us in these first eight pages, his escape. And we're all very, all, every one of us on the line is very aware of the escape hatches that we have used. We don't have to use these escape hatches anymore. We can stand in the sunlight of his spirit. That's our decision. We can stand. We can have clean, sober minds. And we have somewhere to go. That's the beauty of these fourth step, the 10th step, the 11th step nightly review, is that we can look at it and we can be reminded that my reliance is on God and not on me anymore. Thanks for letting me share with that I pass. Thank you, Sally. And Rachel W. Hi, good morning. This is Rachel W. Can you hear me okay? Yes, I can. Okay, good. I had some difficulty in meeting. Um, you know, I, I'm just going to be echoing Sally because I, I had the same reaction when I saw that word escape. But a few lines up where it says, um, sometimes I stole from my wife's slender purse. Um, you know, looking back, I can recall so many instances when, you know, we were on a budget or money was tight, but there was always, always money for my drug. You know, there was always enough money to uh, to get, you know, not only, you know, just a little something, but actually like a bulk item. And I was so generous, I would get one one for me and one for my family, you know. And and uh, I still remember that, like stretching it and just spending so much money on, on my binge foods. And, um, and I'll never forget, like when I was sitting here, when I first got abstinent years ago, and I used to eat like a container of tofuti by myself. And I remember... Um, one uh, one one night that I gave it to my family. I gave I took one container. I was absent. I took one container, and I watched like you know seven other people enjoying this one container. Like everybody had a scoop, and they were satisfied, and they were okay with it. And I marveled at that. I marveled at my selfishness, you know, in, in taking, and um and this idea of escaping. You know, I I'm going to be echoing Sally. Sorry, but like that when I when I first read this, I was just thinking about how ironic it is that. Here I was, you know, using the food to escape, you know, like using, using, I mean, you know, I remember in my younger days, like hiding food, like just the feeling of wanting to get away with something, just needing to escape and, 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 and having the food be my escape. But you know what happened? After a while, it wasn't escape anymore. It was torture because it didn't work. There was nothing to escape into over there. And, um, and eventually, um, you know, I think even when I had the food down, I was still escaping. There was plenty of escape going on, even when I was absent in these rooms without working this program the way it's supposed to be worked. And um, and nowadays, I don't fool myself. I'm an addict, um, you know, and I I love escape. <laughs> but um, but I do know that you know for today, I, you know, what is that, what am I really running away from? I'm running away from myself. I'm running away from God, you know. And and what what the what the amazing thing is that, you know, I, now I'm running back to Him. You know, I'm running back to what, what I was running away from, you know, and, and this program has given me the blessing. It's been a blessing to have this, this method of turning back into myself and coming back into God. And I don't have to do this alone. I do this with other people. I do this, you know, I do this by reaching out. My sponsor encouraged me. Anybody out there struggling on the line or, or just starting, 
you know, those outreach calls and that network is so important, you know, to have in place um, to help, you know, to help with this process of, of leaning into the steps, turning back into myself and into God and, and leaning into that instead and escaping there. And um, it's very scary, you know, the ways that, that we can escape even even during abstinence. And um, But I just want to say my gratitude, you know, just that, that I, know, I, know, I know what escape is and I know where to go now, you know, that I, when I want to escape. So thank you so much. Thank you, Rachel W. And Leanne W.? Yes, good morning. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Oh, okay, terrific. Um, And I just want to say God always provides because I'm driving to work and I was concerned because I'm on the highway and I'm just hit a traffic jam. So now I'm at a crawl so I can talk comfortably without uh, worrying about driving. But I did want to share briefly on this um, topic of escape, especially because for years I've been in program, I'm 53, I've been in program since I was 28, and for years I struggled with identifying because I, if I'm truly honest with myself and all of you, I, you know, I haven't experienced the, the um, desire to, like, run to food and not be able to finish the Doritos bag. I mean, you know, finish the entire Doritos bag or, or the box of cookies and grabbing the candy. And, but um, I, I identified with the isms of the disease. But then I also recognized for me that, when I'm in a difficult situation, I would look to possibly to have a glass of wine. And because I would desire to have this glass of wine or something, I thought, well, then I must be an alcoholic. And so for years, I kind of went back and forth. Am I an alcoholic? Am I a compulsive overeater? I'm not sure. But what God has revealed to me as I've gone through this process and I've been listening to these meetings, which I'm so grateful for, is that the phenomenon of craving for me is set up when I ingest a glass of wine, it is then that I cannot stop eating. So if I don't have the wine, then, you know, I can resist the food. But if I have the wine, and it might just be one glass, then I cannot stop eating. It is then that after that glass of wine, I have to have that bag of Doritos, and then I cannot stop eating the Doritos. And it's kind of a a funny thing. For, for, For me, I feel like, oh, well, you know, what is it then? And and it's been so revealed to me that, you know, the phenomenon of craving, this desire to escape, I this desire to escape, what is it for me? And so I needed to determine and be, have it revealed what are my triggers and what is my disease. And it had to be my, I wanted to identify and to, to say, yes, I'm like that. And I don't know, maybe there's somebody on the phone today listening that's like me saying, you know, I'm not sure if I fit because I've, I've never taken food from the garbage and yet, I should say, and I haven't done a lot of things, but, you know, I know for me that I get to a point where I am seeking to escape and when I seek to escape, it is typically to have that single glass of wine which immediately sets up the phenomenon of craving and I can't stop eating. And, and I want to say... And but for the grace of God today, that is not my history. And I, I no longer do that because I've worked this program and I've and worked the steps as it's laid out in the big book with all of you. And Time. Oh, thank you. And it's just been, it's been a blessing. So thank you. 
Thank you. And we're going to go ahead and stay on this paragraph. So who else would like to share? Carol G. Penny C. Sam from Okay, let's. I think we've got probably. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay, we're going to start with Carol G, Penny C, Ronnie P, I believe, and Leah M. So, Carol G, go ahead. Uh, star one to unmute, Carol. This is what Kelly. Right. Can you hear me now? Yes, Carol, I can. Thank you. Good morning, Vision for You. It's Carol G. Recovered one day at a time. Thank you. Um, it is a fantastic paragraph, and I was just going to turn my attention to the body. The body and mind are marvelous mechanisms. Um, <laughs> someone's making lunch. Um, the body and mind are marvelous mechanisms, and I never believed when I was obese when that I would ever, ever see a normal body size ever again. I would sit there looking down at the size of my legs and my body and think, this is it. I am a tree trunk, and I am never going to be any other way, and I wanted to die. And my body has gone through an amazing changes, amazing changes. I'm not the perfect bill of health. I won't be in the Olympics next time. But to be honest with you, after what it's been through, it's made a miraculous recovery. And I had to work the steps and I had to work through this book with a sponsor who was recovered to just regain that trust that things can change because I just experienced that terror that he talked about. I really wanted to dive out of the window Sometimes when it was about the eating, sometimes it was about how I looked in the mirror. And today, just to give you a little bit of hope, when this program is worked through and I committed to this recovery as a process, I found that I began to live in a healthy sized body, a body that could manage because it wasn't being poisoned every single day with food. And I'm in the same size body three years in a row now. And it's a miracle. It's an absolute miracle. Um, there is an exit door. Um, at the end of this process, you know, 1 to 12, we, we are transformed. We are transformed spiritually, mentally, physically. And my physical self is beginning to um, just recap all those benefits of childhood. And I curse myself a, weakness, a weakling. But it is weakness, not willfulness, that got me through this program. I had to just seek the lowest point, the lowest level like water, release things and stop grasping. So thank you. And I hope everybody else has a little bit of hope today that from these paragraphs we can turn it around and I pass. Thank you, Carol G. And Penny C., you're next. Thank you. Thank you, Julie. It's Penny C. I'm recovered compulsive overeater from the Boston area. The mind and body are marvelous mechanisms. For the mind endured agony, agony. That word, you know, sounded so dramatic when when I first read this. What do you mean agony? Agony isn't like that. And then as I began to look back at my history and the 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 various times in my life where I attributed my depression, my anxiety, um, all of that, to 
you know, other things, blaming everybody and everything for the way I felt and not for one minute thinking that it might be that I was binging, binging constantly. And and that's where the agony came from. And it was agony. You know, for people who don't understand our disease, they can't relate to that. You know, I don't understand, they'll say. You know, I drove down to um, Virginia Beach with my sister, who's not a compulsive overeater, and tried to explain a little bit about the disease to her. And it's one that her oldest daughter suffers from very greatly. And she just couldn't get it. She just, well, I don't understand. Doesn't, if you're binging, doesn't it just make you sick and you stop? No, no, that's not, if you're really into our disease and before recovery, I just couldn't stop. No, it didn't matter how sick I was. It was agony. So as I'm reading and listening to these paragraphs about Bill's progression, it's beginning to feel, I'm beginning to feel anxious. And if I didn't know the end of the story and how it turns out, um, I, I, I think I would might even want to stop reading because it's it's too painful. But the hope that that was just talked about, the hope is that all of this, this hellish, hellish life can be turned around by when I got introduced to the steps and began to study and live, live in the steps, that my life is, is just turned around completely. The word transformation is a good one. And so the, this agony does not have to continue. And I can't wait because I know in not too many more paragraphs we're going to start seeing recovery and um it's just a, a relief to me to know that, and with that, I'll pass. Thank, thank you, you. Penny C. Thank you, Penny C. And Ronnie P. Uh, thank you. Thanks for your service. Good morning, everyone. Ronnie P. in Pennsylvania. Um, <clears throat> I so often have the same experience when I read this chapter. I feel absolutely impatient. I'm like, what, it took you another two years? Are you going to take us through those next two years? And then he does. <laughs> and... I get so impatient, and I'm thinking, um, okay, could you get to the good part? Good. Just, I just want to Thank hear. Thank you. The- good talk. Uh, somebody is unmuted. If you could uh, check your phone. Thank you. Okay, thanks. Um, and I just think, could you just get to the good part already? I, I Just get to the good part. This is getting boring. It's tedious. You've basically said the same thing 50 times. Once or twice would have been enough. And that's all my ego. And then I go, yeah, Ronnie, and how many times have you done the same thing 50 times or or over the course of the years of my disease, you know, 250,000 times? So actually, the ex- even just the plain experience of reading the chapter, and I say this to the newcomers, the experience of reading the chapter might create within you a feeling of, you know, how impatient you, you you may feel with him to just get it already. Try to identify in with maybe that impatience within yourself or even maybe other people looking at you feeling the same impatience. Uh, the other thing about this paragraph is I just see how desperate he was. He was desperate. He was trying everything. And that should tell us 
that we don't need to shame ourselves for having this disease. We, we have it. We have it. So many of us, I've met some of the most accomplished men and women in this program because they are really accomplished, bright people. So there was no reason for them to think that applying the same intellect to the rest of their, you know, to their, to their eating would make it go away. And it doesn't. And that is a befuddling, bewildering, and scary place because the brains that we depend upon in every other area of our lives and other areas that may be going really well are going to leave us flat. They're just going to leave us flat. So the thing I want to say is that to to newcomers on the line, it's not your fault. It's not your fault, but guess what? I don't think you're going to be able to do this on your own. If you can, it could be that you're not really an addict, or it could be that you're sort of waffling, or maybe whatever food thing you have hasn't progressed yet. But for now, it's not your fault. And there is a solution. There is a solution. And if you work with a recovered sponsor, um, you, you will get to that solution. And so try to identify in with the times that he started from scratch again and again and again. And even if you don't feel yourself standing by a window ready to jump out, which I never did, I certainly felt just the absolute, just just the pit of despair, you know. Um, I used to eat food for the feeling. Thank you. Um, And then that didn't work anymore. So uh, with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Barney P. And Leah Leah M. Thanks so much, Julie. Yeah, it is painful to read. Um, You know, we always talk about the promises of recovery, and uh, those are certainly abundant. But the promises of disease are also abundant. You know, when I, uh, you know, relate to Bill's story and the progression and and this descent into the madness, you know, uh, it reminds me of the promises of disease. You know, it talks about the physical and mental torture. I mean, many of us are um, familiar with, you know, medical consequences of compulsive overeating, but I'm also familiar with this uh, mental torture that, Bill's experiencing. I remember that mental anguish and that emotional torture, the isolation um, where the the disease kind of separated me from others and kind of cornered me, uh, the deep depression that uh, washed over me, the suicidal thinking that began, uh, the feeling that I was going crazy because I could not stop. And when I did stop a thousand times, I always went back. Uh, you know, the angry outbursts, the temper tantrums, the extreme feelings of loneliness, the overwhelming guilt feelings, the sense of impending doom, the vivid nightmares I used to have, you know, the uh, contemplation of a suicide and, and, you know, an attempt here and there and, you know, mood swings. I mean, I relate to the promises of disease. I could not live and I couldn't die. Just like Bill, he can't live and he can't die. And the reality is that um, as bad as this seems, you know, in the alcoholism, I had a rough time living. I didn't have a rough time compulsively overeating. I knew how to do that very well. Um, But I had to separate from my binge foods to, to get acquainted with that, uh, unmanageability, the underlying reasons why I was making a heavy going of life. The big book talks about leaving aside the drink question 
they tell why living was so unsatisfactory. See, right now everybody's focused on the bottle. Alcoholism, compulsive overeating, held out the illusion for me of a shortcut of an easier, softer way of life. I was embracing this illusion and meanwhile turning my back to the world and to real life. But I had to learn that I was feeling that way even while abstinent. Even while abstinent. Even while abstinent. That's why I kept picking up that first bite. But all this suffering is eventually going to be the invitation to Bill's transformation, and that's the very, very good news. And when someone cracked open this text and brought it to life for me, I left that conversation with something I came in without, and that was hope. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah. And for those who didn't get a chance to share, please stay on for the next um, hour. Thank you to everyone who has shared. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following the closing. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And will Renata G. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Sure, Julie. Good morning. Thank you for your service. Good morning, family. This is Renata G., Recovered Compulsive Read in New York. Our, our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in a fellowship of the Spirit and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.